Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. I, uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to speak this morning. I also appreciate the way uh, John introduced this series on Monday by taking us to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to kind of develop that text a little further down uh, more this morning uh, when we get there. But I also appreciate uh, Corey's uh, taking us back to Acts chapter 2 yesterday. I, I tell my church growth class uh, every year that the, the real principles of church growth that we need to be paying attention to are found in the New Testament. They're found in Acts chapter 2 with the establishment in the beginning and the explosive growth of the first church of Christ in Jerusalem. There's a lot there that if we want to grow the church, then we need to be doing what they did because that was God directly leading His church in what He wanted it to do. And, and I want to talk this morning uh, from Ephesians chapter 4 a little bit about God's organization of His church. He organized His church to grow. Uh, I, I do want to approach this lesson from a slightly different perspective just because of that. Uh, and I'll, I'll say a little more about that in a moment. But there seems to be a misunderstanding of just what the role, <clears throat> proper role of the preacher and the other leaders of the church really is or what those roles are. For most of my life, I, I've heard people jokingly, maybe half-jokingly say, that, um, well, the preacher does the elders' job and the elders do the deacons' jobs and the deacons don't know what to do. <laughs> and the sad thing is that very often that's the case. And we, we really need to pay attention to what Scripture has to say uh, about what our jobs are. Uh, so when I, when I say that I want to approach this lesson a little bit differently, I don't really intend to discuss a specific program or several programs that will help us to grow. <clears throat> I really would rather us look more closely at Ephesians chapter 4 and see what God had in mind for His design or His organization of His church. We are organized to grow. My point this morning is going to be that God designed or organized His church to grow the way He wants it to grow. And then along with that is that you, as the preacher, the minister, the evangelist of a certain congregation, are not in this alone. You were never intended to be in this alone. And by this, I mean the responsibility to see that the church grows. Amen. Church growth is not down to one person in the congregation. Even though you will very likely hear, some of you may have already heard this from a search committee or an eldership or something uh, such like, we want to hire a man that will help this church grow. Well, we wanted to hire a man that would help this church grow in our recent uh, uh, search for a new preacher. And that's perfectly fine. The reality is that very often what is meant by that phrase, we want to hire a man that will help this church to grow, what is meant is we want to hire a man that will grow this church. And that's not quite what we read in Ephesians chapter 4. 
Let's look at the verses that John talked about uh, on uh, on Monday, the, the beginning of this context in chapter 4 and verse 11 of the book of Ephesians. We find there a purpose for God's organization. He gave some, he says in verse 11, as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, sometimes we use the word office. We have these four offices that are mentioned as being in the church. And um, now the first two, apostles and prophets, we don't have, doctrinally speaking, miraculously speaking, those offices in the church today. Uh, we have etymologically, we have some similarities in what uh, those uh, offices did, but not doctrinally. We don't have miraculous ability or anything like that today. However, their influence continues. We still have the apostles, don't we? We have what they wrote for us. We still have the prophets of the New Testament because we have the New Testament. And so their influence continues today. But the other two offices, evangelists and pastors and teachers, we still have those in the church uh, today, you are training to be evangelists. Some of you will be pastors and teachers. And you know that you have a purpose, and that purpose is to equip the saints. Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. But, the, but that equipping has a purpose. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. There's purpose here. God does things for a reason. He designed His church with a purpose in mind. The saints are to be equipped for this purpose. The work of service to the building up of the body. And so these offices then make up God's organizational plan to cause the body to grow. Well, that tells us that God wanted and wants the church to grow with this plan in mind. And that plan is not that the preacher do all of that work. Now, the reality is that the church is full of people who will let you do all of the work, if you will do it. I have been very blessed to have, been, to have worked with congregations where the leadership made it clear that I was not to do all of the work. That's a great blessing. But I will also tell you that I have been blessed to be part, uh, to have worked with congregations who were quite willing to let me do all the work. In some cases, more of it than others. Now, why would I say that I was blessed to be a part of those congregations? Because now I know whereof I speak. And I understand a little bit about what your role is going to be. And that really is what I want to get at today. I, your, the, the, the advice I want to give to you today that will help your church to grow is to encourage you to communicate this to the congregation. Now, I do not recommend that you make this part of your tryout sermon. I'm coming here to help this church grow, but I'm not going to do everything. If you people don't do, your, do the work yourselves, that's not going to work. Let me tell you, that's not going to work. <laughs> All right? The relationship that you build with the congregation is going to guide this as far as timing is concerned. But it's a message from Scripture that needs to be communicated. And there's another warning that I would give you. Don't let the truth of this, that growing the church is not one man's responsibility, 
Don't let that truth make you lazy. Because it will, if you let it. It will. It's not my job. It's the church's job. My job is to tell the church that they need to grow. They need to do the work of service to the building up of the body. No. It's your job too. It's just not your job alone. And so we understand now that God expects His church to grow. He organized, He put in place an organization with a purpose. But for how long? What is the duration of the organization? How long is that supposed to be? Well, since the organization is for the growth of the body, the growth of the body, then we the expectation would be unto maturity. That's what growth really is about, is to maturity. But just that word maturity by itself doesn't tell us very much, does it? A five-year-old is more mature than a newborn. But I don't know of anybody who would call a five-year-old mature. Our culture, Western culture, considers that an 18-year-old is old enough to vote, drink alcohol, and die for his country. Science tells us that the human brain is not fully developed till about 25, which might explain why you can get 18-year-olds to go to war. <laughs> but what is maturity? My point is... We need something to tell us what maturity is, don't we? We need a standard by which to measure maturity. And that standard that God gives us in this context is in verse 13. Until, to the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the standard. That's what we're shooting for. So the spiritual body of Christ is fully mature when it, when we attain to that spiritual stature or that spiritual maturity of Christ. You know what that means? We're going to be working on this until we leave this earth. We're going to be working on it until we die or the Lord returns. Christ is our example in everything. And we find he's our example here of what a mature Christian, a complete Christian, a perfect Christian, all of those words used to describe, to define that, that particular Greek word is all about. This is part of that walking in a manner Worthy of the calling with which you have been called that he began the chapter with in verse 1. This is what uh, that uh, being diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace is all about in verse 3. Working together toward that maturity. And so what is the end result? And this, this was really where I was uh, aiming since uh, when John introduced this uh, series on, on Monday and took us down through verses uh, 11 through verse 13, I, was, I began right then thinking about verses 14 through 16. The result of this kind of organization, the organization that God put into His church, 
What is the result? The very first result is that we're no longer children. Look at verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. So that's our first result. No longer children. Now, the New American Standard says, begins that with, as a result. I don't think that's a very good translation. The Greek word there is hina, meaning uh, in order that. And the difference is, it tells us that there is a purpose for striving for maturity. Newborns don't have, don't purposefully, purposefully strive for maturity. The five-year-old is more mature than the newborn does not purposefully strive toward maturity. They don't understand that concept. And my point is that we're not, you will see this in your ministry. Maturity does not happen just because of the passing of time. Spiritual maturity. It does happen in physical maturity. Whether it happens in mental maturity or not, it happens in physical maturity. But it will not happen in spiritual maturity. There must be a purposeful striving for that maturity. And so he says that he put this, uh, these offices in the church. He organized the church this way to equip the whole church to do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we reach that level of maturity, which we're going to do for the rest of our lives, so that... We won't be children anymore. And sadly, you're going to encounter people in the church today who have been members of the church. They've been baptized longer than you've been alive who are still children. So there must be a purpose, a purposeful striving for maturity. Children or immature Christians in this context, are defined here as those who are carried away by every wind of doctrine. Perhaps uh, you have a new charismatic, and by charismatic I mean um, a very effective speaker, moves a congregation with near truth, and they follow him. Maybe a respected scholar begins to preach a, a different gospel, and many people follow him. Maybe congregation A in state B has made a change. And now they, they serve uh, Coca-Cola and Twinkies for the Lord's Supper. And the, the membership doubled in a month. So some of our members want to try that. Whatever the case may be. Carried away by every wind of doctrine. These are examples of Christians being influenced by something other than Scripture, and that is a textbook definition of immaturity, spiritual immaturity. And the defense against such immaturity is found in the very next verse. But, and that word but, Greek word day, is a word of contrast. Don't be children... But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, Christ. That's the other side. We're not children 
We're striving to not be children. And the way we do that is speaking the truth in love. We grow up. We grow up into the head. What grows into the head? The body. The church. The truth is what sets people who would be true Christians, mature Christians, free. John 8, verses 31 and 32. And that same truth is what will protect a congregation from man-made, unbiblical doctrines that will help them to grow and not be children anymore, but mature Christians. But that truth must be preached in love. And then the second result of the organization of the church that God, uh, that God approved or put into His church is a well-organized and functioning body. Look at verse 16. From whom, that's a reference to Christ at the end of verse 15, from whom the whole body, that's all of us, that's not the preacher, that's not the elders, or just the preacher, not just the elders, not just the deacons, not just the leadership, it's the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. And if, if we still don't get that, you know, not every part of the body is a joint. We still don't get that part. He goes on, according to the proper working of what? Each individual member of the body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When I have addressed congregations uh, with this uh, point in the past, I have pointed out there is great news this morning. Great news indeed. Modern technology has come up with a way to hold these pews to the floor. We no longer need you to do that work. We've got a lot of other work in the congregation that we have freed you up for. And we need to get to it. We need to get to that work, don't we? The proper working of each individual part <coughs> is necessary. Each member does his or her part for the good of the body. The problem comes when some of the members do not grow, do not develop, do not do their work. And then the body becomes, just like with the physical body, handicapped. Now, can handicapped physical bodies function in this world? Yes, they can. I know a number of people that we would describe as handicapped who are offended by the word handicapped. But they are. There are things that they cannot do. But they function quite well. The church functions in this capacity, but it shouldn't. And that's the point. Your job and mine will sometimes and maybe oftentimes involve getting all the members of the body functioning in the roles they are best suited for so that the body functions as it is designed to function. And some of that are going to be these programs that we're going to be hearing about, that we've already heard about. Corey gave us some good examples yesterday. There are some great programs of work, and uh, specific programs of work that will help people who really didn't know what their lot was or what their, what their role was, I should say. What their work was in the congregations. But they will help, it will help them find those roles. You know, I, I mentioned at the beginning, you're not alone. Loneliness is a real problem. 
in our line of work. Just yesterday, after I had already decided that I was uh, what I was going to be speaking on today, I hadn't started putting, you know, quote unquote, pen to paper yet, but I, I knew where I was going with this lesson. I had a conversation with a recent graduate of this school who is right now feeling very discouraged. He's contemplating leaving the work, but as he said to me, he didn't want to leave the work. He loves that church. He wants it to grow, but he feels like he's the only one in the congregation who really wants it to grow. In other words, wants it bad enough to actually work at it. And he feels discouraged, very much alone in a decent sized congregation. I wish that I could say that you will probably never experience that kind of loneliness, but I can't. You will. But you should remember this you are not alone. God designed his church that you should not ever feel alone. It broke my heart to hear him say that we have no friends in this congregation. But sometimes you will feel that way, and it won't just be your attitude. There are times when brethren are happy to leave you alone or to leave you to do the work. But even in those times, God has not left you alone. Part of your job of equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ may have to start by convincing them that they have a work of service. But whether they believe it or not, God is with you. And when the congregation, and this is how I want to end this. When the congregation to which you minister understands that point and joins hands with you to do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, it's all, all that loneliness, all of those other things, the bad things that sometimes happen to us, are worth every minute of it. I know sometimes we talk about the bad things that happen to preachers. And I can tell you, I could tell you horror stories, and some of these other men could as well, but I, but I will tell you this. The blessings, these, these kinds of blessings, when brethren, good brethren, join with you hand in hand and work for the glory of God, make it all worth it. And they happen a whole lot more often than the bad things. God bless you.